This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, Sikkim365 Radio. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer. And uh, we've got quite a bit to talk about, although the news cycle is slowing down a little bit as the spring semester comes to a close. And with it, spring sports start to come to a close. But uh, there is still quite a bit to chat about. Hope you've had a, a pretty good week. Uh, we are... Inside the Sikkim 365 studios in the corner of MLK and Elm and Grayson, uh, you know, kind of getting that feeling of, you know, springtime starting to sort of wind down just a little bit here. And uh, with it, uh, you know, obviously results, still some Baylor teams alive, but uh, man, we are heading straight for the summertime, it feels like. Yeah, we definitely are, but I'm excited because today we get to actually talk about a little bit of Baylor men's tennis as they're continuing to make their run. So that's fun. But yeah, things are slowing down and that's okay. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of recruiting and a lot of um, other content that you and I are going to have to talk about. And like we do every year, a lot of speculative kind of information, you know, talking about previews for the season and talking about what Baylor's going to be in the fall. And uh, it's a lot more fun to talk about results, but it's also kind of fun to talk about what could be in the future and so we're going to be doing a lot of that um, but today we still get to talk about at least some information right yeah I mean there's a little bit of stuff out there I mean it's uh, slowed down like I said uh, just a little uh, in terms of the fast and furious pace of news that we were getting with you know the basketball teams hitting the transfer portal and football you know still alive as just a couple of weeks ago really um, but they've now started to kind of wind down I mean final exams are going on you know, people are getting out of classes now and heading back home for the summertime. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, starting to slow down in that regard. But there is a lot to talk about, and we're going to get into all of the headlines and news and notes. Got Jack and Armstrong behind the scenes making things happen as well. So thank you to them, as always. But uh, let's start off with a piece of news that is Baylor-related, um, although this might be kind of the last Baylor-related thing we talk about with this young man, but Gary Bohannon. Uh, former Baylor quarterback now, of course, the starter last year, uh, and then gets hurt. Blake Shapin comes in, takes over, leads into a Big 12 title, and Gary comes back and uh, is the quarterback for the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, got his big opportunity last year to, to be the starter uh, at the beginning of the year after winning that quarterback competition. And less than a year later, I mean, this is the world of college football. He is in the transfer portal after the spring practices uh, you know, were over and uh, Dave Aranda commenced to name a starter uh, in Blake Shapin, or at least reports came out that you know Blake Shapin was a starter. And then subsequently, Gary Bohannon enters the transfer portal. Well, Grayson, a couple weeks later, we finally know his destination. And uh, Gary Bohannon's going to continue his college career at the University of South Florida, joining up with the Bulls out in Tampa. He let that be known uh, over the weekend. Uh, with a graphic on Instagram. So, uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, clearly follow his South Florida career all that much and talk too much about it because it's a different conference. It's a different everything, really. Uh, you know, and I'm certainly going to track Gary and, and see how he does. But, uh, you know, your thoughts on just, you know, him finding a destination and uh, it being USF. 
Yeah, I mean, it's college football for you, isn't it? Because he's ending up at USF. Uh, the loser of the quarterback battle last year, Jacob Zeno, is likely going to start at UAB. So you got two guys that are going to be playing and starting at another school uh, after losing the quarterback competition at Baylor. I think that kind of speaks to the depth that Baylor had developed in that quarterback room and kind of the quality that they had uh, in the room as well. Now, as far as Gary going to USF, I think this is a great landing spot for him. I know there were reports they took a visit to Oklahoma and they took a visit to Missouri as well, um, but he ends up at the group of five level. And to me, this is a clear sign of, I want to go somewhere and I want to be the guy. And he goes to USF. He is going to be the guy. There's no doubt about it. If you look at the quarterbacks on the roster at USF, I mean, they were really bad a year ago. This team went two and 10. Their starting quarterback, Timmy McClain, uh, 1,888 yards, five touchdowns, seven interceptions, only completed 55% of his passes. He was not good at all for them a year ago. Their backups didn't fare any better. So now Gary's going to come in there, and I think what Gary's going to bring for them is kind of a better ability completion percentage-wise. He's going to be more accurate than the quarterbacks on the roster. He's going to be a better athlete than the quarterbacks on the roster as well. And I think this is a great opportunity for an offense to really open him up a little bit more and allow him to be more of a factor in the run game, especially the power run game. They're going to rely on him a lot. Um, they have a really good wide receiver returning as well at USF. So I think things are kind of aligning for Gary to really be set loose in that offense. Now, does that mean they're going to win a ton of games? Probably not. Uh, but I do think for Gary, I think it's going to allow him to really grow as a quarterback and develop as more than a game manager, which is what he was at Baylor. Yeah, he'll definitely be their their focal point, I would imagine. And, you know, it is funny to me, and this is no disrespect to Gary, but it's just, uh, you know, and I'm sure Baylor fans or Baylor media have been guilty of it with certain guys as well. Um, but just the excitement level, I mean, USF, I'm glad that they're excited for it, but I see some of these reporters make comments about his game, and I'm like, did you watch any of him? You know, it's like, this is massive, and I'm like, well, it's pretty big, I guess, but it's not like, you know, Peyton Manning's walking through the door or anything like that. It's just, it's kind of crazy to me, and I think that's why the transfer portal gets so people so excited, is that they just get so excited about just adding a guy that it just... It's it's funny and and it's great. It's 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 great that the transfer portal creates all that excitement. But I think they need to temper expectations already a little bit down there. No disrespect, because some of the responses I saw, I just he's he's good. I think he'll thrive down there. Um, but he does have some things to work on. He is not a polished product by any means. But uh, you know, I'm not saying that to take away from Gary at all. It's just. Um, interesting when you've been living in this world with Gary for the last four years and seeing what people say, and then you see another fan base get him, and then you see the way that they talk about him, and it's just interesting to see the the uh, the differences. I will say from a look at what you have on the roster perspective compared to Gary, oh, yeah. I, I can see why they're, they're thrilled because it's just he's so much better than what they have on their roster. So I understand – that perspective, I just think it's super interesting that when he entered the portal, everyone was talking about, oh, Missouri, you know, D1, you know, Power 5. Um, he's going to go and be a no-question starter somewhere. And, you know, this is the portal. That sometimes does not happen. And honestly, most times that does not happen, even though he has a full year of um, production. Uh, you know, he's ending up on a 2-10 and 10 team. You know, that, that's just kind of how, how it works out sometimes. But the thing of it is, is I think he's going to do some great things there. I think he's going to 
help elevate that program over the next two years because I do think he'll be in college for two more years. Um, and he'll give them some reliability and leadership there. So I'm happy for him. You know, Tampa's a really cool place to be as well. So he's going to have a lot of fun there, I think, and be able to really thrive uh, down at USF. So I'm happy for Gary. I think he's going to do some great things. But overall, I, I think at this point, it's just one of those things where you go, this is why Blake Shapin won the job. Like Blake Shapin was just a better quarterback. And now we can all sit back and cheer for he and Jacob Zeno at their two landing spots. Yeah, um, and I'm glad to see there's excitement for him. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that there's some buzz now for Gary, and he's going to a place where it looks like he's going to be appreciated. And uh, I think he was here too, but I think that they're you know buzzing to have him come down to Tampa. So uh, that's good for Gary Bohannon, and we'll see you know where it takes him and, and all of that. But uh, he's going to need some help, that's for sure. And, and like you mentioned, they apparently have a pretty good wide receiver, but that's been a program – that's uh, been kind of hobbling along the last few years, and uh, they could certainly use some juice from him and some of that standard that he brought and, and things like that. So uh, all best wishes to Gary Bohannon as he's now found his next destination and what, he's got a couple years of eligibility left. Two. Yeah, yeah. so uh, he's got a, an opportunity to, to really – kind of settle in there and, and make his mark and I'd love nothing more than to see him you know going in the NFL draft in a couple years uh, getting picked up but uh, obviously a lot of work still to do there before that happens and uh, that work will happen in Tampa Florida so um, good luck to him and uh, that was one piece of big news elsewhere uh, Josh White uh, former LSU linebacker and we can stop saying that kind of now because he's been accepted into school he's now been recently on his visit, and uh, pretty soon here in the next few weeks he'll actually be moving uh, to Waco. But uh, obviously a big pickup out of the transfer portal, Grayson. Uh, I was able, the last question that Dave Aranda answered uh, in spring ball was about Josh White when I realized we could talk about him and was able to get it in there real quick and get his thoughts. And he just, you know, glowed about Josh White the person and his family and and all those types of things and then oh yeah he's a pretty good player too uh he was sporting what was the number 44 I think mm -hmm. in his uh his visit jersey but yeah saw some pictures of him great uh, linebacker from number. yesterday mm -hmm. yeah that's a good linebacker number uh so explain this is his official visit that he was on this past weekend yeah so he took his unofficial visit at the beginning of April that's when he committed uh, and everything like that right after that visit he committed to uh, Dave Aranda and the staff and then this was his official visit so that one was an unofficial. This is his official. He still had that available. So he was like, I'm going to go ahead and take it and just spend some time in Waco um, and just spend some time with the coaching staff and with uh, some of the players, especially Drake Dabney. They're pretty close. And so I think it was just an opportunity for him to get on campus and kind of get a feel for what life's going to be like when he gets to Waco here in the next month. Uh, it'll be early June when he arrives and officially enrolls. So that's kind of where we're at with him. Obviously, this is massive just to get him back on campus and just solidify things. Um, you know, it, there was never any doubt, though, that, you know, he was a bear the moment he stepped on Baylor's campus the first time he left a bear and he continues to be a bear. So he'll enroll in June and is going to give them a potential starter at the will linebacker position. He's definitely going to come in and compete and uh, be a big part of what they're trying to do for the future on that defense. Yeah, definitely look like he doesn't need to put too much weight on. Uh, already looks pretty filled out. Looks good. Uh, granted, he's been the LSU strength and conditioning department uh, now for the last couple of years. So uh, not as though he's like a baby face freshman walking in. Um, so he's got some size on him already. And I know there's a lot of intangibles that people like. So uh, cool to see Josh White on his official visit 
taking pictures on the field of McLean Stadium in the all yellow. Uh, so he chose the all yellow for his pictures, which is <laughs> interesting because some people, that's like their least favorite one. But uh, I do know some people that like him, and clearly Josh White does. Also him holding the Big 12 championship trophy uh, and admiring that as well. So cool to get a couple of shots of him in a Baylor uniform. Um, and soon we'll see him actually out at McLean Stadium and playing for the Bears and, you know, hopefully being the star that a lot of people think that he can be on the defensive side. So you got one player in, one player out, basically, uh, with Bohannon to Tampa and Josh White from Baton Rouge to Waco. Uh, elsewhere, uh, football-wise, uh, you mentioned 247, I guess, has got some preseason rankings out, and uh, I guess it's got people talking, and uh, the Bears are at number five, I guess, according to uh, these rankings. Yeah, I guess it's CBS Sports Rankings, and 247 did an article on it with their take on the rankings, I suppose, is kind of how that worked out. And the Big 12 had four teams inside the top 20. So uh, it was Oklahoma State at 20, Texas at 17, uh, Baylor at number five, and Oklahoma at number four. Um, the top five go Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Um, I guess my first takeaway, and judging by you kind of laughing, is Oklahoma should not be number four in number the nation. Four. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Like, I mean, I'm as unbiased as it's going to get here, uh, you know, in terms of uh, I don't have a hatred for Oklahoma, yeah. quite the opposite. Uh, so, you know, maybe unbiased isn't the word, but I don't know. I think I'm pretty fair with the teams that I like. I don't like gloss over weaknesses and you know some people can be very ignorant yes. with their teams i'm very realistic with the teams that i follow um that is a ridiculous ranking for oklahoma <laughs> number four that is absurd that I, is way too high i agree with you i mean the track record of big 12 coaches getting a first year head coach is not great i think there's probably a better chance that oklahoma goes eight and four than they are number four in the entire I, country i but, would just like to know the rationale behind that and i'm yeah. sure they have a nice little paragraph written that explains it i we, i don't need to see it but I mean, yeah, man, a coaching change. I get that. Oh, cool, it's Levy's offense, and he knows Dylan Gabriel. Okay, but Dylan Gabriel's a step down from what they had last year at quarterback. By a lot. Um, yeah. I, I can't even tell you some of their skill guys at this point because most of them are living in Los Angeles now <laughs> or, in the or you know, were drafted uh, like a Kennedy Brooks. Uh, defensively, yeah, I'm sure they're going to be better uh, with Brent Venables in charge, but – I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at that tells me that's the number four team in the country. Yeah, the I, paragraph is not – it's literally not explaining it at all. It's like oh, much, so it's BS, much of their worth hinges on Brent Venable's defense in year one along with the progression of UCF transfer Dylan Gabriel. It has nothing to do with, oh, this is a great part of their team or, oh, this is something that they're going to excel at. I'm just so confused by this because I think if you're ranking Oklahoma right now – I don't know how you have them honestly inside the top 10. Now that doesn't mean I don't think they can compete in the big 12 if everything goes perfectly, but just the track record, it's going to be very hard for Brent Venables, a first year head coach to step in there and have the same success that Oklahoma's had over the past few years. Not to mention Lincoln Riley took a lot of their team. They're kind of installing a new way of going about things. They're trying to be more defensive oriented with Brent Venables I just feel like those things take a little bit of time. And so to me, having them at four, 
is pretty awful, even though I do think they will be, you know, a top three or four team in the Big 12. That doesn't that doesn't correlate to being a top four team in the country. No, uh, that's a ridiculously high rating that really has no merit behind it whatsoever. I mean, that doesn't have a logical explanation for, for them being number four when you can look at so many other teams. Uh, I don't even like Baylor at five. I think that's too high, in my opinion, but I, I, I would take them at five over the Oklahoma ranking at number four. Um, yeah, I just... Don't get that. Um, top 25, top 15 even. Like, sure, yeah. Um, but top four, no. Uh, now, as far as Baylor at number five, that seems kind of high, man. Like, I understand they got a lot coming back. I understand that people think they could be better than next year. But, man, I'm going to have to see it, dude. That was a special collection of talent and a special chemistry and, a, you know, a years-in-the-making roster. I don't think you just simply plug and play. Now, am I saying I don't think they can win – 10 games again or 10 plus games again or the big 12 again no i think they can do all of those things but i don't know that i would be confident at top five in the country right now at this point i still got a lot of questions about this offense uh before i get too into top five talk yeah i mean this is the highest ranking i've seen all off season so far post spring kind of who did reaction yeah i don't want to i don't want to you know rake anybody with coals never mind don't worry cbs but I, i just think for baylor though it's so interesting because yes, I do think when you look at the number five ranking, you go, man, that's that might be too high, right? But I also am looking at the teams around them and I'm like, well, okay, so you got Michigan at six. I mean, okay, maybe Michigan's better than Baylor. I, I don't know that that's a given. At seven, you have A&M. Again, I, A&M, really? I, I don't know if they're better than Baylor. Then you look at eight, you got Notre Dame, maybe. First year, you know, this is Marcus Freeman's first full season. So who knows? Maybe they're better than Baylor. And then you got Utah and Arkansas. I'm taking Baylor over both of them. That's your top 10. I mean, it's not that crazy to think about. If you're going to have Utah and Arkansas in there, maybe you have Baylor at eight. Maybe they fit in more there. But I still think if you look kind of outside the top three, which I do think they got right at this time of the year when you're talking about Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, I think that's very fair. It's kind of up in the air with these other schools, and that top 10 is not really strong to me. No, um, it's very weak. It's very weak, but I also think they're missing, like Clemson isn't ranked inside was, the top 10. Clemson. I was just thinking yeah. about them. Yeah, they're they're a top 10 team. But outside of that, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting year. I think a lot of teams have a lot of question marks, and so for Baylor to be ranked anywhere from – honestly four till about 10 i think it is the sweet spot right now i would say yeah i mean that's cool uh good for them i mean these these mean nothing really it's good for off-season attention and it's just you know people's opinions uh obviously just like we're giving ours here uh it just seems a little yeah. uh jarring to see them as a top five team after you know losing their quarterback losing their receivers losing their running back running backs yeah uh, losing their top two defensive players and longtime captains. I mean, losing their entire secondary, basically. Uh, there's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of change, but I understand everybody's gone you know, through some change as well. So maybe it's just one of those years that's sort of wide open. But, yeah, it's it makes sense when you look around them and you see, like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're totally – capable of being better than those teams but that does sound like a pretty weak pack of contenders uh you know if you can barely even muster together a strong top right. 10 arkansas in the top 10 is 
fascinating. But I, I think for Baylor's purposes, they are going to have the best defensive line, offensive line combo in the Big 12. They'll probably have top five in the country in that regard. They're very deep at both positions. So I found that interesting. Now, we do have to talk about the other two really quick. Oklahoma State at 20 and Texas at 17. 17 after a 5-7 and seven season. I find that to be... Very interesting. They are ahead of Oregon, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, BYU, Houston, Penn State, and Cincy. Do you think that's fair for the Longhorns after five and seven? I mean, it's uh, actually putting them probably where they should be more often than where they are put, uh, you know, in like the top 10 every yeah. year. Because maybe this year will be right, they've been saying for 15 years in a row now. Um yeah, I mean, dude, the whole text, I mean, you know, we're doing exactly what uh, people do by putting Texas into their top 25s just to get people talking, you know. That's why I'm surprised they're as low in that one as they are because typically they overrate them even more to, to really get a you know, argument going. Um, but, I mean, they have made a lot of changes. Like, if they're not – like, now they're starting to kind of do the thing where they're downplaying the expectations. And, uh, you know, after being overrated time and time and time again for the most part, uh, now it's like – uh, yeah, we've got probably more talent than we've had, you know, and I know that's been the thing every year too, but we've gone and got all this talent, you know, basically Alabama's second string, and then, you know, they're going and getting Quinn Ewers, and they've got Bijan, and they've got Worthy, and they go and get like two of the top portal receivers, and I mean, they should be top 15, top 20. I mean, that should be a guarantee no matter what every single year for Texas. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that. I, I mean, I think at some point they're going to have to be better than expectations say. And maybe that's this year. Um, you know, I'm not all in on uh, they're just going to go win the Big 12 with all these additions right away. But I do think they should be better this year. If they're not better this year, I know there will be like, well, you got to give it time, but like they should be better this year. If they're not, dude, then that's that's alarming to me with all of the transfer changes they've made and and those types of things. That would be worrisome to me if they are not significantly better this year. I would agree with that. I do think they are a top twenty-five team. My issue is, is there's no way they should be ranked ahead of Oklahoma State no, at this I time. Don't think that, Oklahoma State's the twentieth best team in the country. No, that's ridiculous. And Texas should not be ahead of them. That's just kind of the the main point of this. Is I do think Oklahoma State deserves to be in that top three after the season they just had and what they have returning. Um, but yeah, Texas very solid. They've added a lot. Now it's just a question of can this all-star team come together? You know. And is Quinn Ewers actually really, really good, or is he just okay? Those are going to be some of the questions that need to be answered. I do think there's a high ceiling for this Texas team, but we say that every single year. They actually have to go out and put that on the football field. So we'll see. I, th I still think they're a little bit soft on the offensive and defensive lines, which is a problem uh, when you play in the Big 12. There are some really uh, much more improved offensive and defensive line plays over the last you know five years. So we'll see if they can kind of adapt in that regard. But I did find it interesting. Number 17, I think they're more like you know 23 or 24 and i think oklahoma state is more like 15 16 17 yeah i'd agree with that i'd have oklahoma state above them now granted uh, they do still have spencer sanders so that can either <laughs> bump you up or bump yeah. you down uh depending on what game you're watching on any given week uh they're kind of quietly going through their off season they've sort of flown under the radar i feel like in terms of a new cycle you know lost obviously some key pieces 
Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, you were talking about when I walked in here a second yeah. ago. Jim Knowles has gone to Ohio State. Jim Knowles is gone. Uh, they lost Kobe Hall Peel as well. They did, uh, and Tanner McAllister followed Jim Knowles. So there's some pieces that are off that defense, and then their offense was just okay. Like, it was yeah. not even that great. It was, you know, it's, again, it's what Spencer Sanders are you getting? And um, that's... Uh, that's a flip of the quarter, uh, flip of the coin, basically. But, yeah, I would have them higher than Texas. They, they're deserving of that. But I, Oklahoma's way, way, way too high. Um, and then outside of the rest of the Big 12, you know, I think it's just kind of a crapshoot. I think you could throw just about anybody in at, like, 24, and I wouldn't really question it too much. Um, I think this is a very interesting year. You know, it's a lot of change has taken place, either coaches-wise or rosters-wise and – you know, here's Baylor with the target on their back now, and they're set up pretty well. So this should be a, a fun season. It's just going to be hard to live up to last year. I mean, last year was just one of those once-in-a-lifetime type of seasons where not everything went right, but ultimately everything did go right that needed to, and uh, it was just special. So if they can follow that up with anything similar, that would be a great sign for Dave Aranda and company. But uh, it is going to be a, a very strange Big 12 and very curious Big 12 with still another three months to go for anybody out there in theory to you know change up even more between now and, and the opening kickoff. So uh, that, that was it as far as Big 12 teams that go? That was it, yeah. Okay. I mean, four, I think that's about right. I think there's so many questions with the other teams in the Big 12. I think you and I pretty much agree on that. You know, there are some teams that, you know, could get in there at some point, but I think after spring, ball probably those four teams are the safest bets uh to win the big 12 championship so yeah it, it was an interesting conversation though to kind of see you know where how the media is kind of perceiving the big 12 and to see oklahoma and baylor that high uh, whether deserving or not is very fascinating yeah uh, it is very uh curious that ranking right there uh, i'll believe that when i see that you know part of me would be happy with uh for them doing that but yeah i'm not i'm not buying that right now i haven't talked to my oklahoma family in a while um i'm curious i know they they love brent venables because uh, they did before he was even hired and then when i talked to him briefly after he was hired they were pretty excited about him again you got to remember they haven't had new and forever because lincoln riley was just a basically you know move over one spot uh, they didn't go through a whole search. So this whole search thing's been very eye-opening, I think, for that fan base. And just, you know, having to deal with change and having to deal with getting picked on a little bit uh, in some cases is is all new to them. So uh, this is this is going to be a very, very interesting year with, with Brent Venables. They had a great showing for their spring game. So last support, which is Yeah, something. well, you know, Nebraska has for like two decades, too. Well, yeah. No, I know yeah. what you're saying. I'm not trying to dismiss it. It's just like there's part of me that gets triggered when you say that because that's like the – the stuff that you start to talk about when not everything else is the stuff that you used to talk yeah. about. It's like all of a sudden Nebraska used to talk about <laughs> championships and now they're like, we had the highest spring game total. And that's like their big thing. Um, unfortunately nowadays is being able to do things like that. I think, I think this is more like, Oh, you've been good forever. And it's like, Oh, and they still have good spring game attendance even without Lincoln. So I think there's a lot of support for Venables. And I think it's easy for Oklahoma fans to have a lot of support for him because it kind of matches hatred for Lincoln Riley at this point. Yeah. Um, and then you got Bob Stoops, obviously being a huge part of that program. So they're going to be just fine and they're going to be good 
at some point. I just don't know if they're going to be elite year one. I think that that's just asking a lot out of Brent Venables, a new uh, offensive staff, a new quarterback. I just, I don't know. I don't, I feel like that's a little too high. Yeah, we will see um, if they can live up to that here in the next few months. Uh, elsewhere, uh, men's tennis uh, in the round of 16 now, Grayson, as uh, Michael Woodson and company uh, move on to the, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And uh, your thoughts on them opening up with a couple of wins and, and being able to move themselves. It was dicey against AM there towards the end, but uh, they were able to pull out a victory. Yep, and in the uh, tournament, you need your best players to thrive. And Adrian Boyton finished that match against AM, and it was needed. 4-2 um, was the final. It looked like Baylor was going to run away with it at one point, and then AM just crept back in it. They started making the matches much, much closer. Uh, but Baylor finished them off advanced and now on friday they'll take on stanford uh stanford again pulled off a little bit of a shocker knocking off number 14 ranked harvard four to three so a really close match there um baylor has a decisive advantage here against stanford kind of going through the matchups that i've seen um baylor should win the doubles point very easily Stanford, not great on doubles. Baylor has to win that point. They have a very nice advantage there. Uh, Boyton should win his match, and that's 2-0 right off the bat is what it should be. Um, and you kind of look going through the matchup. I have it 5-2 if I was going to go through all the matchups for Baylor. Uh, so depending on how it finishes, it could be, you know, final could be 4-2. It could be 4-0. It could be 4-1. Uh, but right now, I do expect Baylor to advance uh, to the Elite Eight where they will take on the winner of Florida State versus Tennessee. Uh, Florida State shocked number 11-ranked Georgia 4-3, to and Tennessee got past Duke 4-1. to I fully expect Tennessee to beat Florida State, and that sets up a rematch of Baylor versus Tennessee from earlier this year. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see kind of what Michael Woodson can put on display and kind of if, if they can just continue to rack up wins and get back to the Final Four. Um, and I, I think that... Uh, I think they're going to get there. I think they're going to get to the Final Four. I think they're going to get past Tennessee and uh, make a little bit of noise in the tournament once again. Well, good luck to those guys. Uh, it was a nice win over Texas A&M, and uh, always good to beat the Aggies. Meanwhile, the Aggies got their measure on the uh, was the women's side yeah. uh, ending their season, so uh, you had a little bit of a trade-off there. But I think with this men's team, you're, you're happy about them moving on because they do have a chance to perhaps do something pretty special uh, with this roster. So congrats again to those guys. And now best of luck here over the next few days as they get the uh, round of 16 underway. So that's kind of the headliner right now for spring sports, I would say, is, um, you know, men's tennis uh, and, and their direction. You've still got track and field going on. And um, gosh, what's ended now? You've got uh, You've still got baseball going on as they are yeah. now one game out of the uh, basement in the Big 12 as Kansas snuck out one win against Kansas State. So that's going to be very interesting. I know we've talked about this. Baylor's got to make the Big 12 tournament. Um, but right now, Kansas 4-14, and Baylor 5-13, and K-State 6-12. and Baylor takes on Kansas State this weekend in a three-game series. It is getting very dicey at the bottom of the Big 12. Yeah, and they didn't even play this week. Well, they played Tarleton, what, a week? Was it a week ago? Week? Yeah. I mean, they didn't play anybody this weekend, yeah. so they just had to sit back and watch. But, uh, yeah, uh, next to last in the Big 12 by a game over Kansas. Uh, so that's where they sit right now. And 23-22 uh, on the year. 
Um, have won a couple in a row, but uh, five and thirteen in Big Twelve play. That's just uh, not going to cut it. And I understand there's three really good programs uh, at the top with you know Oklahoma State and TCU and Texas Tech and Texas. Uh, there's yeah. four. Um, but man, that's that's tough. The more damning stat is they're four and eighteen against top fifty teams. I mean, this team has just been terrible against good teams. Uh, they've kind of not even feasted on bad teams, but they've just been absolutely awful against teams with a pulse. You know, tournament teams basically. So, yep, their RPI is seventy-one. I just, you know, come out with some pride and and knock off Kansas State, ensure your spot in the Big Twelve tournament, and then go from there because they're probably not beating Oklahoma State. So just go out and try to play from you know. Just try to get victories, get a little momentum for this program going into the Big 12 tournament. And who knows? You know, a couple days, maybe they get all together and find a way to win the Big 12 tournament. Likely, no, but uh, possible, sure. Anything's possible, sure. Um, <laughs> you know, got to make it first, right? Yeah, Got to make that tournament, uh, which they are in danger of not doing, depending on how the results go over these uh, next few days. So uh, definitely need to get some wins to ensure that they get that opportunity to, to maybe go and make some noise. Uh, and really, just kind of the final note, uh, Jacoby Walter, a, what, uh, big-time hoops prospect, uh, has some Baylor interest and vice versa. What can you tell us, or what would you like to talk about with Jacoby Walter? Yeah, so obviously Baylor has Miro Little committed in the 2023 class, the prospect out of Finland, who's now moving to the States for his final season of high school basketball. So that'll be really cool to see uh, for him. But Jacoby Walter, um, McKinney High School prospect, he's actually moving to Sunrise Christian, which is where Kendall Brown played uh, last year. The Baylor staff has a great relationship with the coaches at Sunrise Christian. So I'm excited for Jacoby to make that move. And uh, you know, it kind of stinks because obviously it's cool to see him play high school basketball in the state of Texas, but he's going to get to be on more of a national stage this year. Uh, he's 6'6", 185 pounds, five-star prospect. Uh, Baylor had an has had an in-home visit with him. They had one at the end of April. Um, they have a official visit scheduled for mid-June, so he'll be on campus in June. And uh, right now they're in a great position, and a lot of it is because Alvin Brooks the third. Those two, he and Jacoby Walter, have an awesome relationship, um, and that's kind of been built over the past you know year, year and a half. Baylor was his first offer in June of 2020, so. Really, really great relationships with all of the Baylor staff. And I think Baylor's in the lead right now in his recruitment based on everything I've kind of heard. Um, he's taken official visits to Alabama, Texas, and Auburn, which means he only has two more remaining. One is to Baylor, and I think he'll probably take one to UCLA. At least that's the other school that seems to be trending towards an official visit. Um, but the fact of the matter is he didn't commit on any of those official visits. So I think Baylor's in a great position right now. Um, Kind of background on him, as a junior at McKinney, averaged 24.7 points per game, seven and a half rebounds, two and a half steals, shot 53% from the floor, 40% from three. Uh, they made the state championship game there at McKinney. So tremendous in high school. And then he moves over to the Adidas circuit, uh, plays for Team Trey Young, and he's been averaging 28.3 points per game. The dude is an absolute scorer. I think he's a top 15 prospect in the entire country and a guy who really, anywhere he goes, can step in and be an instant contributor uh, for whatever roster he goes to. And 
if you look at Baylor, kind of their roster makeup situation, you basically have Keontae George for one year, and then let's say Keontae leaves, and then you kind of replace him uh, with Jacoby Walter. Obviously, Miro Little will also probably have a big say in kind of that playing time as well with Baylor's three guard lineups. Um, so very intrigued by this. I think Jacoby would fit really well with uh, what Baylor's trying to do on the offensive and defensive side. So this is a huge one. His top eight was UCLA, Seton Hall, Auburn, Kansas, Alabama, Texas, and Oklahoma. Uh, and right now, I, I think Baylor sits at the top of that list. I would hope so. I mean, other than maybe one or two of those schools you mentioned, uh, there's not a better program, um, you know, in, in the running than maybe a Kansas and maybe one of those others that you mentioned there. So, yeah, basketball recruiting has uh, remained pretty intense and, and very interesting as they try to kind of just keep massaging this roster and also you know looking ahead to the the years to come although you can't look too far ahead in in basketball obviously you kind of got like a one year and out sort of a view sometimes it feels like but uh that one year looks pretty good from the way it's set up right now and uh, obviously looking to add more firepower so uh one to keep an eye on jacoby walter when it comes to scott drew and company and uh, congrats to scott drew on his book and making the media rounds and doing all of that so Got that going on with men's basketball. You got uh, football. Uh, obviously, they're in the weight room more than anything right now. Uh, congrats to Gary Bohannon on his transfer. And, um, you know, just uh, spring sports moving on along and the news cycle moving on along. And uh, anything else news-wise before we get in the mailbag? I don't think so. I think that's it. We got great questions this week, actually. All right, uh, let's start off with uh, Gunny. Oh, yeah, Grayson, really. <laughs> well, you're except dead on for this him. one. <laughs> uh, does Ashley look fat in those pants? Boy, we're really starting off yeah, with the... Starting strong. Yeah. Um, no idea the inside joke. Okay, yeah, I don't know what the reference to that is. Um, some picture I'm imagining yeah. of some sort, but uh, Gunny... Sure, he does look fat in this, but no, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what picture we're referring to. Scotty B, the Baylor King, which Baylor football incoming player enrolling in the summer is a true freshman will make the most impact in your opinion. Yeah, see, this is tough because this team has a lot of guys that early enrolled, and then they're also pretty deep at most every position except for one, and that's wide receiver. And so I think Jordan Neighbors could come in and contribute right away, but we'll see what this roster looks like uh, at the end of the spring because if they add a transfer or something along those lines, that would definitely make things a little bit cloudier for Neighbors. Uh, but I do think he could come in and con contribute early. I also think Kyan Roberts' day is an intriguing one as kind of just an offensive weapon uh, if he does stay on the offensive side at 6'4", 270 pounds. Those would be my two best bets because they're pretty loaded at the other positions. Yeah, I mean, um, this is about the time of year to start asking about freshmen and all that, but uh, you know, I think it's going to be uh, hit or miss as far as those guys contributing. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are asked to contribute, but in terms of you know coming in and making giant splashes and all of that, uh, I'm not expecting that much out of this this class right away. I mean, um, I just don't see you know outside of receiver, I don't necessarily see the need for big splashes from some of these incoming guys. You want to see guys like get out there and play and earn their spots and everything. But uh, fortunately for Baylor, there's not going to be a heavy reliance, I guess is what I'm saying, on the younger guys to to pull massive amounts of weight. Yeah, no COVID year for these guys. So Baylor is going to want to use the red shirt 
much more liberally, mm-hmm. I would think. They're going to want to use it and really utilize it. And so, you know, play guys four games, but also just understand like, hey, we're going to need you for the future and we don't need to waste your year as well. That, that's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, but I do think those are, are some good candidates that you mentioned there. Uh, Scotty also asked, toughest three Big 12 road games for Baylor football this year, in your opinion? So only in the Big 12. Well, Oklahoma and Texas are definitely two of them. So we got one more to fill. Oh, man, I'm going to go with that trip to Morgantown. I just, that is always a tough trip. It's a Thursday night in Morgantown. I I don't love that setup at all. So I'll go with those three. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Iowa State. I'm going to go with West Virginia, and I'm going to go with Texas Tech uh, as the toughest three road games. I understand Texas and Oklahoma, the big brands and all that, but uh, – uh, I, you know, uh, you could go with any order you want and choose whoever you want, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, definitely Texas Tech, uh, definitely Iowa State early on because that's a, you know, that's late September. That's a, that's a big kind of fork in the road game for you uh, once again, uh, where you should be three, well, three and zero because you hopefully beaten BYU at their place in week number two. You should definitely have wins against Albany and Texas State. And then kind of like last year, that first like big, big 12 game is Iowa State. We know how close it was last year in Ames. I know they're not expected to be as good, but that's why I think they'll probably be better than they were last year in some ways, even though the talent might not be the same. I think that focus and direction for them next year will be a lot better than when they actually had expectations and clearly wanted to shun those expectations and pretend like, no, 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 we're still just little Iowa State. Remember, we're not supposed to have expectations, Matt Campbell. We're just having fun, just out there playing ball. Well, they're going to keep doing that just with less talent. Yeah, so. but, but no, but I think that like now there's not expectations as much as there was last year. So I think that they're, they're going to be a pretty good team. And just playing an Ames, like that crowd hates Baylor. Those fans hate Baylor. And so I expect it to be hostile. And the last couple times out there, it's been kind of wonky. So I could see where that would be early on in the season, kind of a tough game. Yeah, I think Baylor is going to beat Iowa State. And I think they're going I to hate. Right. I think they're going to. I think they're going to beat up on Texas Tech. I just don't think Tech is ready for the kind of physicality but that Baylor's see, about to bring to them. I mean, they don't even have to throw the ball that game. I just think they're just too physical for them. That, too physical for Tech? Yeah, year one? Yeah. They're going to be in the trenches. I don't think Tech has the talent right now to match what Baylor's going to bring to the table in the run game. The, I mean, they're, they're just they're so good on the offensive and defensive lines. I just, year one under Joey, I mean, that, that's going to be really a tough ask. Yeah, but this is talking about road games. It's not talking about who's the best teams they're playing. This has like toughest road games. That Lubbock crowd is going to be insane. Well, Are you kidding me? The crowd will be, but I, I'm much more weary of the talent at Oklahoma as you okay, know because you're going yeah. there i mean that's fine I'm, I'm talking about tough road games like we're just looking at it from two different angles yeah. so i'm looking at hostility and like tough place to play and all of that and you're looking at who Most the best teams to are lose. yeah so yeah. i'm yeah we're looking at two different things give me your over under a number of conference Ooh. wins for football six i'll say over yeah i'm gonna go or no conference wins okay yeah. um i'll say even I don't know. How many conference games do they play? Nine? Nine. Six and three? Six and three. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take the break even on that. Yeah, I'll take six or over. So I guess over. Um, uh, yeah. Men's basketball, 13. Um, Over. Yeah, I'll say over. Women's basketball, 13. Over. 
Yeah, I'll say over as well. That's a pretty good year for Baylor sports right there. But I think they're going to be good at all three. Yeah, I mean, they should be. Uh, No reason not to be with uh, what they've got coming back in all three sports. Uh, I would expect that, you know, next year it's going to be hard to to kind of follow up on, you know, year after year after year. But that's how you build these incredible programs. And they certainly have the opportunity to do that in all three of those sports is to to keep the momentum going or in some cases create even more momentum uh, for themselves, like in women's basketball, for example, because this season didn't necessarily end the way that you wanted to men's basketball either. But, you know, they're clearly in a good direction and pick up where they left off and, and take it to a different level. Uh, Julius Pleaser, I'm glad Gary found a landing spot at USF. You think you saw what happened to Charlie at Utah and decided, yeah, that's not going to be me. I'll go to a P6 spot where I'm sure to be the man, easier competition, and more of a chance to shine, no? I just don't think he was promised a starting job. Like, Charlie was promised the starting job at Utah. That was very clear. He was going to be the starter. Cam Rising was coming off of injury. I just don't think Gary, at any of the Power 5 stops, did they say, you're going to be the starting quarterback. So, I think it's a little bit different of a situation, uh, but I do kind of agree with the premise of he'll probably be more successful at USF than he would have been at a Power 5 school. I guess that that's fair enough, but I don't think it was... I don't necessarily think it was his decision to go, oh, I'm going to go P6. I just think he went to the place where he could start and be, you know, a starter day one. Yeah, I don't think he was analyzing it that much. All due respect to him. I'm sure he's smart enough to have looked at it that way. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, it was just the spot that made the most sense to play pretty much right away. You know, the Missouri thing, like, yeah, sure, you can go play in the SEC, but you're not guaranteed a starting spot. And you don't have the best coaching either. So it's like – you know, I think just ultimately this works out well for Gary from pretty much every angle, competition-wise, starting role-wise, talent-wise, all that stuff. Uh, and he's going to be the man down there. If he had gone some other places, you know, not just at the quarterback spot, but just in general, he might not be the man. Uh, but in Tampa, he's already the guy. Now, they're just since committing a couple of days ago, uh, they're already, you know, super excited about him. So that's great for Gary. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes, uh, obviously, uh, starting here in the next couple months. Uh, I do wish him the best. But that's uh, interesting, Julius. I appreciate the question. See, Midness, which three to five prospects do the set staff need to secure an official visit this summer? I mean, a lot of guys have already set up official visits. So I guess I'll just kind of go through a few of those guys. I don't know, unless he's saying, like, name random off-topic guys who don't have an official visit. I mean, I think he's looking for who are the top three to five guys that they They need to get an official visit from. Okay, all right. So, uh, Terrence Green, uh, I think, is one. Uh, He's defensive lineman out of Cy Woods. He's definitely one that I'm thinking they need to to get on campus uh, for an official. Um, I would say DK Kalu out of Ridgepoint, the nose tackle, along with Samu uh, Tamanu Pepe as well out of Atascacita. Those two they need just because nose tackle, right? They need to address that position in this class. Both of those guys would be very nice guys to have on visits. Uh, Treyon Webb, the running back out of Jacksonville, Florida, uh, getting him on an official visit would be huge. Very productive, elite talent. Um, and a very high ceiling, I think, in Jeff Grimes' offense. And then one that is kind of more of like a, um, I just think it'd be cool to get this guy on campus type thing, is Waxahachie cornerback Calvin Simpson Hunt. He's also a Texas Tech commit. Um, So getting him on an official visit, I think, would be really good. He's blowing up right now. Got Ohio State, Notre Dame type offers recently. Um, I think he's a very, very good cornerback prospect to go along with the guys that are already in good positions with like Chance Rucker and Tayshaun Wilson and Jalen Braxton. 
Uh, which is more likely this season? Shapen throws for 3,500 yards or a running back eclipses 1,000? That's I'm, a tough question. I'm going to go with running back eclipses 1,000. That's where I'm leaning to. Yeah. I just think they run it so much that someone will get either really close or get there. I think Squirrel will get past 1,000. Yeah, I mean, Abram... Uh, 1600 for Abram. Yeah, but he had a lot of carries, too. Like, I mean, he was getting at least 20 a, a game yeah. pretty much. Uh, I don't know that they're going to have anybody on the team this year who's going to be getting 25 a pop or anything like that. I mean, Tay would be the closest example, and I don't know that he's fully ready to just go out there and do that week in and week out. Um, I mean, but, Treston had 800 yards on just 148 carries, which is super impressive. Yeah. Um, I, uh, there's a lot of yards to be had. Yeah, so. I mean, I'll go with the uh, 1,000 yards, uh, you know, uh, just choosing between the two. I think, yeah, that's probably the most likely. Um, but, yeah, if they can get uh, another 1,000-yard rusher, that would be great. Um, it had been a little while since they had done that, I believe, uh, before Abram did it last year. So mm -hmm. uh, that was good to see, and good to see him not only get that but crush it. Yeah, I think Shapin will get close to 3,500 too, though. Like just kind of also answering that part of the question, I, I think he could get right around that with the play action stuff that they do and the fact that they may not just turn around and hand the ball off as much because they don't have an, an Abram. Mm -hmm. So maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, either are possible. That's the good news. Uh, both could happen, actually. But I'll go with the 1,000-yard running back. Thank you, C. Midness. Uh, Baylor 1984, with the explosion of the transfer portal, will there ever be a day when it's close to 50-50 of high school recruits versus portal signings for college football teams, especially the Bears? will look at Texas State, and I think theirs is like 95% uh, transfer portal guys, if I remember correctly. Wasn't it the Texas State something that did crazy, that? yeah. Like their whole class basically was transfers or so something along those lines. I, I forget. It's been a year or two now, but um, – what do you think? Uh, will that ever be the case for Baylor, a 50-50 type of portal slash high school recruits? I would hope not. And I also think the rules are going to start to try and deflect teams away from getting away from the high school prospects because there are going to be coaches that just want to go all portal all the time. Um, so I think the, the powers that be are concerned about that. Uh, and the effect that that could have on high school recruits. So I think there's going to be a concerted effort to try and curb some of that. Um, so... You know, I, I'll i say no. Uh, I don't think it's going to be um, be like that necessarily for Baylor, where it's 50-50 that way. I think there's always going to be, you know, 80%, 85%, if not 90% will be recruits. And then, you know, your handful of guys in a big gear that you get from the transfer portal like last offseason. Yeah, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Baylor's not going to go away from recruiting high school prospects. And a big part of that is, you know, beyond just evaluating and developing, which is so huge for a school like Baylor, it's also the relationships with these high school coaches is massive. If you start just going to the transfer portal, you're going to lose that. Mm -hmm. And it's going to really impact your team, especially if you miss on transfer portal prospects, you're in a world of hurt. So, I don't I just don't see it happening. Baylor's too much of a develop and scout kind of school that I don't see them going away from high school recruiting. It's too important for the lifeblood of the program. Well, and it just conflicts, too, with uh, Dave Aranda's whole mindset about, you know, developing young men and players and whatnot, I think, too. I mean, he's clearly happy to bring in guys from the portal, but I don't think that he'd love the idea of, like, 
you know, 90% of his roster are like one- and two-year guys. That yeah. completely eliminates the ability to do the personal side of things the way that you would like to do and what made them so unique last year and, you know, makes the program so unique right now. So you got to have time for those relationships. So, uh, you know, and you even look at the two LSU guys he's brought in. I mean, Josh White could, in theory, be on campus for like three years. It'll probably be more like two. But, you know, still, Siaki Ika is not a one-year rental. He's back for year number two. He could be back for a year number three, uh, depending on how this year goes. So, um, you know, they're not uh, – you know, Drew Estrada was just the one year. But, hey, you had a needed wide receiver. Here's a Texas kid, and boom, and he worked out pretty well. But, yeah, I think for the most part, even the transfers they get, you're going to hopefully have those guys for more than just a little little rental period too. Thank you for the question. Uh, Bear Coog, if you won the lottery and wanted to be a big-time sports donor to Baylor, what sport would you spend most of the money on, and what would it be used for? Uh, I'd go straight to Quidditch. Uh, I'd get the – I can't even name a piece of equipment to make a joke. Um, Aww. I would I now I well, I like the Harry Potter movies, but for some reason the I'm blanking. Snitch? Yeah, the golden snitch. Yeah, the golden I'd buy, you know, the nicest golden snitches that you've ever seen in your life. Uh green and golden snitches, I guess. Uh no. Um I mean football would be tempting, but then again, like is that just throwing your money down a big old drain because there's so much money already pouring through it? Um what about you, Grayson? What would you do? I I think I would do football just because I, it's the biggest money Swear sport. It makes the I, impact, yeah. yeah, and I, it's the one that I go to the most games and enjoy watching the most. But I would say I think the most impactful would be basketball, though, because if you get one or two really good players on a basketball team, you, you're set up for success. Um, but yeah, it, it'd be football for me. Yeah, I would love to be able to have the kind of money to actually like save something and pay my bills and then have that run over to go like what sport am I going to donate these thousands or millions to I just want I just want to one day which will never happen but just one day to be in that position would be that'd be something man it would be that that'd be a fun fun option to have to to want to make uh so yeah probably football when all is said and done um like uh, probably most people. Thank you for the question. It's interesting. Um, let's see. Bear on Glade, do you think the transfer portal usage will slow down maybe a little once the guys with a six-year of eligibility all age out? I'm sure there's lots of progress stoppers with guys sticking around and keeping underclassmen off the field, and that's a very unique point. That COVID year, we kind of forget about yeah. that a little bit, but uh, that thing is still around and still why – you know, you've got these log jams on rosters, and I, and I do think that that has created more of a – of a traffic jam or a log jam, uh, as you might say, uh, than anything else, um, you know, in terms of the transfer portal and all of that. I'd agree uh, completely with that. And I think another kind of aspect of it is that schools are recruiting guys who are much older to their roster and then taking up a spot. So like, for instance, RJ Sneed, he's got an extra year, so he's going to Colorado to play his final year. So a freshman at Colorado is not going to play or a sophomore at Colorado is not going to play because RJ Sneed's there now. So that's another big problem as well as these guys with their sixth or seventh year of eligibility going somewhere else and playing and taking up a spot. So yeah, I, I think it could a little bit. Uh, once this you know kind of COVID period ages out, I do think that a lot of prospects might reconsider because they might actually get some playing time and not get over recruited by sixth year seventh year guys yeah i mean you can't hate it too much because otherwise you wouldn't have had Tristan ebner back last mm -hmm. year for example or jerry mcveigh even or raleigh tejada or you know maybe even a couple of other guys that i'm not thinking of but that's three right there that were all sixth year guys 
And now six years were around before, too. They were just very unique circumstances. <laughs> and you certainly didn't have basically six-year guys on every roster in America, if not multiple six-year guys on, on mo most rosters. So that did create a, a bit of a precarious situation, I think, for coaches. And it has created just this weird – it's like I say all the time, like I don't know what years guys are even in anymore. It's like you're a redshirt sophomore, but you've been on campus for five years somehow. It's like it's crazy. <laughs> Um, the way that it's it's kind of worked out, but um, Squirrel still has some some years of eligibility left. Yeah, like left. how? Yeah. I mean, dude's been he's gonna have he just got his degree the other yeah. day. He's got like three years left, and <laughs> it's crazy. But his are medical and COVID. But yeah, still. I mean, it's it's not the you know just dragging it out by any means or his choice to do that. But still, it is the six year bonus year whatever has has made it very strange. So uh, I do think it'll be nice when that kind of clears up. Uh, when exactly that happens, uh, I don't know. But that'll be that'll be good to kind of get uh, knocked loose and, and get the, the river flowing normally once again, instead of a, a bunch of logs piling up. All right, uh, so thank you, Baron Glade, for that question. Uh, thank you to Bear Coog and Baylor 1984 and C Midness and Julius and Scotty and Ashley and Gunny as well for your questions this week. Uh, hopefully, we answer those to your satisfaction and uh some interesting questions this week uh that may go back and think about a little bit more but yeah i mean as far as uh you know tough road games and what do you think about other teams in the big 12 and all that i mean uh, the more the merrier as far as that discussion goes we're hitting the summer months we'll have tennis hopefully for a little while longer and uh you know remains to be seen on some of the others but uh it's been been a good spring spring semester. A lot of kids going home now. A lot of young men and women going home after exams. You missed that time period. Yeah, a little bit. You do. You know. You know well, yeah, I, the, the long summer break miss, of like four yeah. months. I miss the going home part, not the uh, school part. Yeah. Right. The the feeling where oh no responsibilities <laughs> for like a little bit of time, and then of course you know internships and all that. But yeah, I miss it a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely miss the long school breaks. Uh, those were those were very nice, but. Uh, hey, a lot going on. Uh, congrats to everybody finishing out their final exams or welcoming your kids back from finishing their final exams, what have you. Uh, thank you for the questions this week. And, of course, thank you for listening as always. And thank you for subscribing to the premium section of Sikkim 365. For those of you who do, uh, listening and being on the boards and all that is uh, the, the way to support us. Uh, so we do appreciate anybody who supports us uh, in, in any form or fashion. Thanks to Armstrong and Jack behind the scenes as well. And, uh, Grayson, until next week, man, uh, this has been the BearCast. Appreciate everybody once again. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, I'm Craig Smoke. For Grayson Grunhafer, Jack McKenzie, Armstrong Sims, this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.